Grace, mercy, and peace to you from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Innocent, 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 innocent. The trial of Jesus that is documented in our reading from Luke is interesting in that while Jesus was condemned to die, he was condemned to die as an innocent man. The charges brought against him were lies. He was accused of subverting the government by opposing the payment of taxes, something he spoke in exactly opposite ways of. When spies sent by the priest tried to trick Jesus, asking him if it was right for them to pay taxes to Caesar, he asked for a coin. And seeing Caesar's image on it, he, gave it, he, he said to them, Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. They were in the position of owing Caesar because they failed to give to God what was God's. They failed to honor and trust him above all else. They were again under the authority of a foreign and earthly power because they would not believe, uh, believe love, and trust in God above all else. Even then, as they led Jesus to Pilate, they accused God, Jesus, of being a liar after seeing all he had done in the form of teaching healing, and even raising people from the dead to give proof that he was the Son of God. In their disbelief, they foolishly condemned themselves as they sought the condemnation and death of Jesus at the hands of Roman authorities. They wanted to be seen as innocent of Jesus' blood. In their eyes, he was a blasphemer that had claimed to be the Son of God, and they had stoned and put to death many before for lesser offenses. They had tried to stone an adulteress, but could not stand before Jesus and do so. They wanted the Romans to put Jesus to death so they might remain innocent. We all want to be innocent. When I was about seven years old, we were living in Detroit, Michigan, in Dearborn. We lived there only a short time, but while we were there, my grandmother came to visit from St. Louis. We always did fun things when Grandma came, and this was no different. There was a fair in town, probably a county fair or something similar, and my mom, my grandmother, and my sister Sandy and I all went. It was a life-changing event of sorts for me, at least one that left a mark on my young conscience that is stuck to this day. There was a bus at the fair. I know, I like buses. It was part of a display put on by a local law enforcement community. You climbed the stairs and entered the back of the bus and were given a tour of the criminal justice system. I imagine there were pictures of offenders, courtrooms, and the like that were talked about by the officer that was leading us through. That was not the striking feature. What struck me and it struck me to this day, begins with the prison cell that was set up in the bus. Steel bars, steel cot, a thin mattress that hung from the wall by chains, and a small sink and toilet. Crimes were described that might land one in that cold-looking cell. Then there was some talk of the most heinous crime that we can imagine, that of taking a life and the punishment for doing so. And then there behind a the glass wall stood a very real electric chair. 
it brought a chill far beyond the cell before it. It was big, made of wood, big copper wires running here and there into straps that would go around your wrists and your legs and metal plates where current would flow to one's body. The workings were described in what seemed like great and gruesome detail to a seven-year-old boy. And I will go no further on that for you. But, as if that was not enough, the last thing you experienced as you left the front of the bus was a similar lifelike display of a gas chamber and the explanation of its workings that brought death to those convicted of that most heinous crime of murder. Needless to say, at age seven, during the summer of, I am guessing, 1965 in Detroit, Michigan, my criminal career came to a screeching end. I earnestly decided I was never going to kill anyone and end up in that chair or chamber or commit a crime that would land me in jail. It really did change my life. It was in Lutheran terms the curb of the law that kept me on a straight path. I wanted to be innocent. And the curb of the law did its work. I or anyone else could by human reason, and that is our God-given human smarts, comprehend that all I saw on that bus was not to be desired. Those seeking the punishment could choose to keep a measure of the law that would keep us from that earthly fate. But the law of God is different. The mirror of God's perfect law, as I looked in it, I learned that I was still a murderer when I got mad at my parents, teachers, or others, that I lied and was not truthful at times or just stretched the truth. In all sorts of ways, I, like you, fall short of God's law daily. And the punishment that awaits us is far worse than that big wooden chair with all the copper wires that was on the bus. What awaits us is hell itself, complete and eternal separation from God the Father. Worst of all, that mirror showed me that I failed to fear, love, and trust God above all things. For Jesus, the earthly punishment was far worse too. Crucifixion was used as a curb of the law for those that would go against Roman authority. I would imagine many people walking by past those hung on Roman crosses from ages 7 to 70 walk past going, yeah, not going to do that, and I'm going to stay innocent of that, whatever that was. But our own reason and strength is foolishness when it comes to God's righteous demands in His law and His equally righteous judgment. The righteousness of God demands from us perfection, just as He is perfect. We have to be innocent, 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 innocent. When we look at laws that men may write, we can be innocent. And if not, we might plead to a lesser crime or punishment. But when we look at the law of God, there is no deal-making. We become filled with fear over past actions or things we had done that went unnoticed by others, unprosecuted, had no punishment meted out. We carry guilt with us and are afraid. The gospel is that Christ was declared innocent for us. 
he was charged with claiming to be Christ the King and having spoken, spoken of himself as the Son of God. His teaching, miracles, acts of mercy gave witness to that truth. He was innocent of falsely making this claim because the claim was true. The result was those accusing him were condemning themselves for not believing him. Pilate said, I find no basis for a charge against this man. He did not see before him a king that was a threat to Rome or to Caesar, but a weak and powerless man. He did not care about the religious charges unless the result was unrest, and he saw none incited by Jesus. He was innocent. But Jesus is a Galilean, so Pilate sends him to Herod for a trial. Herod, too, found nothing to charge him with. Jesus does not even open his mouth to defend himself. He claimed to be the Son of God, and it is true. But Herod is not asking to have his faith strengthened, but simply desiring to see a show. He wants to see some signs and miracles. And not getting any, he ridicules him and sends him back to Pilate, who again states to the crowd, I have examined him in your presence. I have found no basis for your charges against him. Neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us, as you can see. He has done nothing to deserve death. That's innocent, times two and three. Pilate wants to release Jesus, but they cry out for his crucifixion, and Pilate for the third time declares, why? What crime has this man committed? Innocent by Pilate, innocent by Herod, innocent by Pilate again, and innocent by Pilate a third time. It is faith in the innocent blood of Christ that was shed, his death and resurrection, that makes us innocent before God. There are those who have committed crimes in this life and escaped arrest and persecution. Prosecution, I should say. None can escape the righteousness of God and his righteous judgment. We are to be holy as our Father in heaven is holy. How do an unholy people live with the holy God? It's the theme of the whole Old Testament. He gives the law so that they can be near and he can be near them, and they mess it up. And Christ comes to set it right and make us a holy people so we can live with the holy God. It seems a daunting task. But our faith in Christ and the fact that all of our sins were laid on his innocent body, he was convicted, suffered, and died. The God-man, innocent, with no sin in him, but our sin on him. The civil authorities in two courts attested to it. The thief on the cross would attest to it. This man has done nothing wrong. As would a Roman soldier with the words, surely this was a righteous man at Jesus' death. As believers in Christ, those that are in him through baptism, the hearing of his word and receiving his supper, our judgment is already done. He abides with us, and we have been made holy in the sight of God, even as we are sinners in this life. We are declared innocent, 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 over and over. God, Christ's righteousness is ours. 
then God looks at us and sees his sons and daughters that are robed in white and no longer stained with sin and guilt. We may be seen as hypocrites and imperfect by the world around us, and and they're correct. We are imperfect in this life. But now we see God's righteous law as a beautiful goal that Christ has already kept for us. We learn to love God's law, and we strive to keep it with the wonderful knowledge that when we fail, we are forgiven. We know that through the gift of faith, we have already inherited a perfect and eternal life that is promised to us, and we are fed and strengthened as we look forward to that life we will enter without fear of judgment on the last day. Our sin has already been atoned for by the sinless, spotless Lamb that is Christ, and we have been declared innocent, 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 innocent. In the name of Jesus, amen.